Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Transfix Take On. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today I'm joined by one of our favorite guests, none other than Bill Cassidy, senior editor for the Journal of Commerce and another favorite guest when he is on this part of the show, but you know his voice from our weekly Transfix Take podcast. He is my co-host, Justin Mays, and we have got an exciting jam-packed show for you as both of these gentlemen are taking on the state of freight. Welcome back to the show, you two. Thank you very much. Great to be back with you. Right. As always, Jenny, great to be back with you. I know we, we started off talking about this year, but Q4 in and of itself has been quite interesting with major shutdowns and layoffs that came seemingly out of nowhere, right? But when you really examine the way the markets have panned out over the last three quarters, some industry leaders were predicting that this could have happened at the top of the year. Now, Bill, I'd love to start with you. Did you see the folding of Convoy happening or did it take you aback? That took me by surprise. Um, you know, there's a lot, of course, that we don't see that goes on behind the doors at any large company. Uh, but I was a bit surprised by that. When you look at the overall market, what we do see is that we have had a steady trickle of freight brokers leaving the market. And I believe just the, the data from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration shows, I believe, like a 5% decline in the number of brokers over the past uh, you know, nine months, going back to December of 2022. That's almost the same as their data for motor carriers with you know, operating authorities. Uh, so it's interesting. You know, it's, uh, I think what's really was interesting is you know, a, a, a freight brokerage of that size leaves the market and things sail right on the next day without a great deal of disruption. Uh, a lot of headlines, you know, were out there, I think, the day of, the day after, talking about, you know, is this like the, the beginning of the apocalypse for freight? And obviously it's not. Right. You know, still right. a lot of capacity out there, a lot of brokers out there. So, you know, yeah, it was a it was a shock, but it was one I think that uh, lasted for about, you know, a minute and then people just rolled on. Justin, interested to hear your viewpoint on this. I completely agree. I think it was a big shock to see a, a brokerage of that size go under. Um, now, I don't necessarily think it's such a shock to see brokers and carriers be going under at this point and how long it's been a, let's say, depressed freight market. Because um, at the end of the day, it comes down to cash flow, which has been very tight. The longer the rates continue to be lower. I mean, yes, there's a lot of carriers and brokers who made a lot of money throughout the pandemic that had it stored away for, you know, that traditional cycle of downward pressure, but I don't know about this long. Um, that's the big question. And to see how many more will go out of business in the coming months, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear other big names, whether it's on the carrier side or the broker side. And It'll be interesting. I mean, I think it's important to point out that, you know, the market conditions came up in the aftermath of this, you know, the company itself blaming market conditions to an extent and and yeah the market is incredibly soft and has been for a long time and looks to be soft for you know some time to come but people also make decisions and you know peeling back all the layers of that i mean there were decisions made which contributed to 
the situation they found themselves in. The same is true of another big uh, company failure this year, Yellow. Um, you know, it's not so much that the LTL market is terrible. It's there were there were other things going on that uh, affected that company, led to its closure. Same is true for Convoy, I believe. Yeah, I think you nail it right on the head, right there. Otherwise, um, we'd have we'd have many more. You know, we might see more failures, especially with the way the market looks. But you know, if it was really all about market conditions, I think we'd have seen a lot more larger companies going out, not, not just the smaller yeah. companies. Yeah. What are some of those decisions that you think were being made that led to the demise of uh, you know Yellow Convoy and and some of the other players that have folded? Oh wow! I mean, they're 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 they'd be very different for those two. Um, I mean, for Yellow, the major thing, of course, was they were trying to reorganize and refinance, and they had incredibly high loan replay repayments every quarter on a, on a monthly and quarterly basis. Uh, I think that was something that a lot of people didn't see. I mean, they took out a seven hundred million dollar U.S. government loan in twenty twenty. And the interest they were paying on that and the loan repayments just ballooned in 2022 going into 2023. So if you look back at their uh, fiscal reports, you can see it's like a huge amount of money. It just ate up their liquidity. And when they tried to refinance, they needed to have the Teamsters on board with the one yellow reorganization in order to get refinancing apparently, and they couldn't swing it. And they seemed unable to pivot at the end. I mean, I was you know quite surprised that you know, they kept coming back and saying, this is exactly what we have to do. And you know perhaps they were in a deeper bind with their lenders and creditors than they might've publicly said. And the lenders and creditors said, if you don't do it exactly this way, you're not going to get the refinancing, you know, but they, they, you know, seem to be unable to move to a new version of one yellow, maybe one that was, you know, less, uh, it was more, it was more amenable to the Teamsters leadership that, you know, so yeah, a, a lot, a lot of things going on there behind the scenes, uh, a lot of reasons beyond the market for what happened there. I think, you know, with Convoy, uh, though I haven't looked into this as closely, I think, you know, one of the major issues is, you know, how money is spent over time. They had a right. huge amount of spend on technology development. Um, you know, suddenly you don't, you don't have the underlying market to support that and you don't have enough money saved up for the rainy day. Uh, you know, those are decisions, you know, about what do we spend on? How do we how do we invest and reinvest in the company? And uh, yeah, you know, each company makes its own decisions, its own way. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, those decisions come back and bite us. Yeah, and I think that is especially true on the convoy side and not just them in particular, but anyone in the market that hasn't been in multiple cycles in the industry. You know, if you weren't cutting your expenses earlier, which is one of the strengths of brokerage has, is to be able to cut expenses faster and then grow faster. So if you weren't cutting expenses at the very beginning of a downward market, hoping that it was and relying on an upward swing, then you were just putting yourself in a like, you were just putting yourself in a worse position. No longer the market continued to be to continue to have pressure on it downward. 
And again, like the cash flow issues, because, you know, they did have issues with factoring companies who they worked with, which did impact their actual carrier base. And it's not just Convoy. Every brokerage is going to continue to have that issue right now as factoring companies revise their risk appetite towards this industry and brokerage especially. It's going to be a big issue, in my opinion, for carriers and brokers because carriers already don't have a lot of freight to choose from. And if their factoring companies don't work with as many brokers due to the revised risk, then it's going to be even less of a pie that they have to go after. You know, I'm curious to know from both of your perspectives, what do you think the long-term uh, effect, the long-term impact of these, you know, shutdowns, these decisions that have been made back in 2020, and who knows, even further back than that, where do you think that's going to put the supply chain in the next, you know, quarter or so? You know, I think for, you know, and, and the brokerage and the truckload market, um, you know, as we had said, the impact has been minimal so far. You know, if we had 30,000 brokers, you know, nine months ago, and now we have 28,000 or 27,000, most of those are really small operators. So the freight just moves to someone else. You know, I don't know at what point it really becomes a real pinch. I think the factoring angle is a really interesting one. And yeah, I mean, that could, as carriers have fewer options, that can also restrict the options that shippers are going to have at some point. Um, you know, but it seems there that I think the next quarter is going to be much, it probably will get a little bit slower uh, as we get toward the end of the year. And in LTL, I think, you know, we're seeing a real reset there because we've seen 50, about 50,000 shipments a day that yellow handled uh, in 2022 be redistributed among the surviving carriers. So, you know, we lost four larger LTL carriers. All that freight has been picked up by others, typically at a bit of a higher cost, uh, depending on depending on the carrier, depending on how the shipper had used that carrier in the past, if they had already had business with them. Uh, you know, for those companies that really depended heavily on yellow and went to try and find new carriers, I mean, there's been, I think, this this waves and waves of LTL freight that have been moving from one carrier to another as shippers try and find, you know, the right service, the right price. Um, you know, you know, and that's continuing. You know, and it's almost four months since yellow shut down. So, you know. What I hear is that that's going to continue on into the first quarter. And, you know, after that, I think we're going to get to a point where things are reset and we're at a, a new normal for LTL. It'll be a bit of a higher price for a lot of shippers. Um, but shippers are also, I think, looking at different ways of dealing with, with this. And, you know, hopefully they're open to using more carriers, different carriers, finding a a better mix perhaps in order to uh, to match the freight that they have with the services these carriers have and get get the freight that they want you know uh, so it's going to be a, a probably a bit calmer as we get into 2024 i think there and uh, we'll we'll see what the water level is like i mean the real the real issue for for you know ltl and really as for everybody is you know is manufacturing going to kick in again 
Are we going to see greater industrial output in 2024? We hear that there are some green shoes out there in certain industries. Certainly vehicles are, are, are still doing well, but you know, there's still a lot of industries that are, are contracting in terms of manufacturing output. So, you know, that's a major issue for LTL and truckload. Do you think FTL will be a delayed reset from LTL later in the year? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. I mean, trying to look at what the, what, you know, I, th I think that we're, we're at a bottom now would be my estimate. I mean, I look at all the all the rate indices and you know our own shipper paid shipper spot rate and it's been pretty much at the bottom you know since you know the summer early in the summer or late in the spring um the dat numbers you know look like they basically hit a bottom in uh in august and have just moved along very evenly since then so we're kind of at a reset there i think as it is you know the question and when, when does a rebound actually come when do we see more volume enter the market and that's really hard to see right now uh, because you know imports are down yep exports are up which is good and that's freight that is moving to ports by truck but you know manufacturing being still in contraction uh, we kind of need to see that inflection i think before we see a real inflection you know, on the, on the freight side. No, I agree. I mean, we were just talking about the carriers and brokerages that are going out of business and we're seeing, I would say, relatively no real impact at all. Um, even if more were to go out of business, you know, next week, I still don't think we're going to have that impact because there's just so much supply versus the relative demand. Well, that is the crazy thing, Justin, you know, when I was looking at some data earlier and, and you know, the, the carrier numbers, you know, when we talk about the, all the exits from the industry, and yeah, we're seeing we're seeing more companies leave the industry. We we know that, but when you look at the number of just operating authorities, and you know the FMCSA data, you know it it doesn't necessarily tell us who's in business and who's not, but it gives us some indication of of how this market has changed since the pandemic, and when you look back to December 2019. Now, FMCSA had 240,720 active operating authorities in the U.S., right? So U.S. companies with active for hire general property operating authority. The number by December 2022 had grown to 368,835. You know, so you had double-digit growth in the number of operating authorities in 2020 and like 28.7% growth in 2021 and even 5.7% growth in 2022. You know, so since December of 2022, that number has dropped by, it's 4.5%, it's uh, about 16,521 fewer active operating authorities out there. Uh, in September, according to the FMCSA data. Now, that doesn't mean that all the companies that are out there that have operating authority are hauling freight right now, uh, or that they had their operating authorities revoked, uh, you know, but it does give us, I think, a sense of the direction, you know, and we're, what it says that, yeah, we've had a step down, 
but we're still above where we were in 2021, which was a huge year uh, for you know the addition of of operating authorities. And you know, again, I think one thing that I you know think about and thinking about the exits from the business and the entrances into the business, you know, it used to be, if you, if you looked at the revocations and the, uh, the new entrance or the re-entrance, you'd see like a, a band, there's a bandwidth of like 10,000 carriers. And within that 10,000, you saw all this activity. I mean, you might see 6,000 leaving and 4,000 entering or, or vice versa, right? You get into the 2020s and suddenly that bandwidth doubles and it's like 20,000 carriers. And so maybe you're seeing 12,000 leaving in one month and 8,000 coming in. So it, it, you know, that's just, you know, to give, you know, an example, I'm, that's the actual number right now, but it seems that the number of carriers coming in, going out, that bandwidth has kind of doubled. So that's all the that part of the market that's churning on a constant basis. And, you know, that is again, reflection of just how many more operators there are out there, which gets us back to what are they all doing? <laughs> how are they making <laughs> money? They you know, you have to wonder, you know, I, I, you know, what kind of freight are they pursuing? Are they uh, not in the spot market? Mm. You know, and, and, did a lot of them make so much money in 2021 that they can, you know, afford to tighten their belts and, and roll through this long soft patch uh, as we head towards 2024? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm curious, what is it going to take for this, you know, Bill, you mentioned this concept of a reset as opposed to, uh, um, you know, a rebound. What do you think it's going to take for the market to reset in favor of carriers and will we even see that my guess is no but will we see that in the first half of the year yeah i mean i think you know lower inflation is one thing i mean the u.s market u.s economy you get all kinds of mixed messages right now uh, third quarter you know gdp the advanced uh, projection for gdp in the third quarter was 4.9 percent from the bureau of economic analysis i think s p globals is around five percent, but you know, say it didn't feel like four point nine percent. Certainly, if you're not if you're involved in freight, it, it felt terrible. Right. So, you know, these things that are supporting the economy, you know, a lot of them don't show up in freight, which is kind of odd because you know the BEA said that one of the reasons why we had such a a good jump from the second quarter to the third quarter was because we had increased consumer spending. You know, and it was on goods as well as services, but you know, even non-durable goods, I think it was up 7.6% from the second quarter. So I'm like, well, what are people buying? And so, well, part of this is you're at a low level, right? So you go up 7.6% from a low level, it looks like a bigger jump probably than it than it would have two years ago or so. But you know, still there's there's some spending going on but not as much spending on, on stuff that actually fills trucks. I mean, if people are buying more pharmaceuticals, for example, you know, unlike, you know, unlike refrigerators, you can fit a heck of a lot of pharmaceuticals in one, one trailer, right? Yeah. A three foot trailer. So, you know, not generating as much, as much truck freight. Um, 
you know, so I think, you know, lower inflation, uh, you know, if mortgage rates were to come down, housing demand were to increase, I think those are big triggers. Yeah. And that would also help, I think, trigger more manufacturing uh, mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, and things are looking good in that direction, right? I mean, inflation is down compared to where it was. Mm -hmm. Mortgage rates are still high, but people, at least in my area, are still buying homes. Um, of course, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, so it's a little bit different than right. in, in a lot of other places, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, once we get, once we get into 2024, if we begin to see more signs of, you know, inflation being reduced and perhaps mortgage rates coming down, it was a good thing the Fed decided not to increase rates again in the most recent uh, meeting. You know, I think that that certainly begins to help with freight. And there's also going to be a certain point when people begin to have to buy stuff again. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like replacement, you know. Okay, so you bought you bought new furniture in 2020. You got a new patio set. You know, maybe something needs to be replaced in, in 2024. Uh, electronics is a good example of that. I mean, there's an, an obvious cycle that people go through in terms of purchasing computers or other electronic goods. Sure. You know, so when does the next thing come out that you simply have to have, you know, or are you going to be like me and stick with your, your laptop from 2018 until it literally melts down? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that those are good questions that would, that, that kind of activity needs to uh, return, I think, in order for us to uh, see, you know, some more truck freight being generated. I think what's also interesting is you look at a lot of charts and you know most of them have this big up and down like yeah inverted v you know from the start of the pandemic to today right uh, but when you look at a lot of the the data over a longer period you know like you know imports imports uh teu imports which the journal of commerce obviously tracks a lot you know they were down at one point like 31 percent or 32 percent year over year i think back in March or April. So we had really big drop in imports. But when you look at where we are now, now we're down in September, we were down 2.4% year over year. You know, so there's kind of been this upward trend. You're still lower than we were a year ago, but you know, it's an upward trend. But then you look back at 2019 and 2018 and imports are higher now than they were in those years. So in so many things, we're seeing just how divergent the, you know, pandemic, you know, bust and boom really right. were. And, you know, now we're kind of back where we were in 2019, maybe a little bit better. Um, so it's almost like we're heading, heading back and, you know, hopefully we're getting back on a more normal growth track. But I think, you know... I think that the indications are it's going to be gradual and, and yeah. a slower growth plan than, than we're, we've gotten used to these big volatile swings. And I think that's the most important thing to, to really know is when we do say, you know, the freight markets pick back up, it's not going back to 2020 where it just shot up to the right. It's just the, the small incremental growth um, with a lot of seasonality that shows its face again. Yeah. 
it's funny because I think a lot of people do expect that excitement that we experienced in 2020. It was an exhilarating time to be in the supply chain and in logistics. But the reality is, is exactly what you're saying. We're going to see more of that reset to 2017, 2018, maybe 2019 levels. But next year is not a regular year. We are heading into an election year. And so, you know, part of, Bill, what you were saying with inflation and, you know, there is still an opportunity next year for the Fed to increase rates. Do you think the election will have an impact on the freight markets? Or do you think we'll see that in 2025 when we've elected a new president? Possibly. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, you know, I sometimes think that the influence of elections or, you know, who wins them, who's in office on freight markets can be overblown. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think a lot depends on consumer confidence. Yeah. And if consumers are increasingly nervous next year about the economy, you know, and what we, what the polls seem to show is that, you know, although people are, they're making more money, they have more disposable income, um, they're continuing to spend despite inflation, um, they're employed, those who want to be employed are employed, that we're not happy with the economy. And, and this has been noted in the past by some economists, you know, quite often people, when they talk about the economy, I mean, they might have a view that, oh, the economy is in, in great shape or it's in bad shape. And it's not related to how they're doing personally. It's how they think about the world in general. You know, so, you know, and quite often that's influenced by political considerations, you know, so if you vote one way, you might think the economy is doing just fine. If you vote another way, you might think, wow, the economy is not really, we're on the wrong track. Uh, And that doesn't necessarily reflect how you are doing personally. And, or the numbers that are out there, or the numbers that are out there, there's a lot of it that is emotional. But if those emotions get really hot, um, as they tend to do around presidential elections, especially the last few cycles, uh, oh, yeah. maybe maybe we'll see people pull back on spending, um, or or maybe they won't. You know, and you know, I think the bigger questions down the road in terms of uh, policy are going to focus on things like you know uh, diesel emissions and green vehicles and. Right what we're seeing happening there. And, uh, you know, that would, that could certainly have an impact on, on a lot of things to do with trucking supply in the not too distant future. Justin, what are you thinking in terms of what next year's politics could, uh, could bring to the freight markets? I honestly don't think it's going to have a significant impact. Um, I think, you know, politics have gotten, you know, relatively volatile itself, but I think the, trucking market itself the freight market is going to continue to be depressed most of the beginning of next year um and i I don't think irregardless of if it was an election year or not we would see a change and what we're going to see this coming year yeah i mean you know the power of of say the president to actually tweak the economy is is kind of limited i mean you know, we've seen two examples of this. We've seen tax cuts and we've seen increased spending. And a lot of the 
change that they can institute is going to be temporary or it's going to take a long time to get here, such as infrastructure spending, which, you know, is, you know, still coming online from a bill that passed, passed a couple of years ago now. So, yeah, I don't, you know, if we're headed towards, you know, there's no indication right now that we're heading into a recession next year. Uh, it's still possible that we could. You know, I've had discussions with people like like Lee Clasco from Bloomberg, you know, who gives it, you know, a, a low probability, but it's a probability based on certain factors in the market. But if you look at multiple factors, they, they do kind of all come together and say, you know, we're going to have slower growth next year, but it's, it's, it's still growth. Uh, S&P Global now, I think they're forecasting 2.5% growth for this year and 1.6% growth for next year. You know, the 1.6% growth is going to feel slow, I would think. Uh, so that could actually have an impact on, on the election. If people think that at this point we're not doing that well, they might feel a little bit worse next year if we're seeing even slower growth. Yeah, and I think it, like Bill touched on it earlier, it's how people feel, not necessarily their actions. Um, and I think regardless, in the beginning of next year, people are going to still have this sentiment that regardless of how much they're spending, the economy is not doing great, um, whether it's a, an election year or not. So I just don't see overall like consumer sentiment changing upward or downward significantly. But again, I'm not an economist, so um, I'm just my general feeling. There's, there's so much, Justin, that really depends on outside events, too. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, the war in Ukraine has been going on for over a year. You know, the war between Israel and Hamas, you know, certainly, I think, has a lot of people on edge. And, uh, you know, that thinking, that kind, you know, there's there's this thinking that, oh, things are, aren't going right in the world, you know, and everyone wants to assign blame for that. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, that, you know, if there are enough things happening that, you know, concern people at one time, you could see some retrenchment in, in spending or in other areas that would affect freight. You know, it's, uh, Bill, you asked, um, what are people buying? And it's funny because Amazon reported that this year's Prime Day in October surpassed last year's numbers and people were actually avoiding uh, big ticket items like electronics and so forth, but were actually purchasing more smaller items like protein powder and batteries. So it just goes to show that there are small, like the economy is um, purchasing the everyday essentials that they're not purchasing in grocery stores because they're waiting for those, you know, kind of flash sales that are happening. Yeah, you know, and that might be a good thing for LTL carriers because, again, a lot of this these goods would move in smaller shipments. Um, people might not, you know, be waiting to get a full truckload of them. Uh, and there might actually be some additional LTL freight coming into the market. I don't know how we could measure that. But um, in addition to the, the freight that the surviving carriers are getting from Yellow, the former Yellow companies, you know, seeing, you know, there could, I, I don't, one thing I was wondering about and wanted to ask you guys about is, you know, the, the level of excess capacity that still exists in the truckload market and how, whether you're seeing more companies coming out of the market now, um, you know, 
what kind of supply demand balance or imbalance are we dealing with as we head toward the end of the year? I think we are we are still seeing several carriers come out of the market on a weekly basis that we work with directly. Um, a lot of them are also downsizing their fleets. They may have only you know, 10 power units, but they're going down to four or five because that's the only, in their words, profitable freight that they can find on a daily basis to fulfill. Yeah. Um, but it's still not impacting, honestly, the overall supply that there is to cover any given shipment, whether it's contract or spot right now. Right. I mean, one thing I've wondered, you know, when we look at the, the capacity that's out there, I mean, all the, the major truckload carrier executives, you know, have said, and I think that three or four of them have said this in the past two weeks during earnings calls, that uh, they expected capacity to come out a lot more quickly, that they expected to see, you know, what we've seen in like, you know, 2019, 2016, uh, you know, when we had cyclical downturns, you know, fair number of companies exit the marketplace. And we had so many come into the marketplace, you'd have thought some of them that came in very quickly would also have gone out very quickly. Uh, you, you know, do you think a lot of these companies that are out there, are, are they, you know, who are they hauling for is a question. Are they, are they mainly in the spot market? Or are, you, are we seeing more of these companies being small companies doing more dedicated type of work? I think, I think you, you, you're exactly right. So in my opinion, over the last, you know, three or four years, a lot of overall freight spend is being shifted to brokers from, you know, just traditional asset fleets. So like uh, we move probably about 60 to 70% contract freight. Most of that freight is taken by smaller mid-sized carriers at, you know, the contracted rates. So they are able to still stay above water. Um, to be honest, what's really dragging down spot rates that we see is asset carriers going and trying to get backhauls at whatever cost they can. And those are actually like a mix of freight between larger, when I say larger, I mean 250 power units or greater, and smaller, you know, 20 power units or, or less moving spot freight. It's, it's still greater on the smaller size fleets, but there's just as much capacity out there looking for a spot freight that's actually pulling down the rates because at the end of the day, they're just trying to get their truck back, whether it's, you know, empty worst case or with a very low paying load to where a lot of these small mid-sized carriers are still moving contract freight um, for the vast growth of brokers that happened over the last 10 years. And over the pandemic, brokers were able to unlock a lot more contract freight than they were prior to that. I mean, I just visited a shipper not too long ago, and I know you're probably very familiar with, you know, the trailer shortage during the pandemic. And now it's like every large facility just has, you know, vacant trailers just sitting there. Trailers Those are a trailers. Yeah. So if you yeah. want to get trailers, you know, ahead of the next <laughs> rebound, this is not a bad time, probably. Not a bad I'm time at all. Some. You know. I like to talk with drivers whenever I get the chance and, you know, and I'm traveling sometimes I, I will run into people and uh, I, I'm, I had one conversation earlier this year with a guy who was driving owner operator. One truck would drive from the Ohio Cleveland, Ohio area to the outer banks of North Carolina to that area. And he was just doing that 
like I guess twice a week, maybe, you know, and he, and he would do his, do his uh, restart in, uh, in the outer banks on the weekend. Uh, so not bad. And I said, gee, you know, you know, the, what, what's the, what's, what's the rate like? I must've come down. I goes, no, I'm paid hourly. <laughs> I said, well, if you have that regular work and you, you're, you're paid what you want to be paid, why give that up? I mean, and I think there's probably a lot more of that out there than, than we might, you know, we might know. Yeah. I had um, Alex Gallardo from Chevron on not too long ago, and he was talking about how whenever the market, uh, the freight market is low, fuel actually spikes up. So he's starting to see a lot of drivers move closer to the Midwest to start hauling fuel for them. And so I, that could be another, you know, place where drivers are starting to shift towards because there's never, well, I won't say there's never, but there hasn't been a shortage in fuel in quite some time. But that also leads me to ask this question because, you know, we, we've started to hear maybe a couple of months ago that, you know, this drought near the Panama Canal where a lot of fuel does get imported from. So I'm wondering if you think that we'll start to see, you know, do you anticipate that getting better or worse in the next month or so or? You know, where do you see that go? I think I'd love to know from your perspective, Bill, on a wider lens and then Maze from a, a micro rate lens as well. Yeah, on the fuel issue, I mean, I think that the, you know, the pressure is going to remain on fuel pricing. I mean, we've had some fluctuation lately, you know, but, you know, with the cutbacks in production from Saudi Arabia and Russia, I mean, that took a lot of fuel out of the, out of the market, a lot of oil out of the market. Um, you know, so, and we're heading into winter. So right there, you're going to have, you know, heating oil and that of course competes with diesel. And I, so I don't think there's a great hope that we're going to see much lower fuel prices, substantially lower fuel prices in the near term. Uh, so that again, you know, for, especially for smaller carriers that, you know, don't have fuel surcharges in place, that's going to be a big issue, even for those that, you know that do have fuel surcharges in place. Well, hopefully that can, they can recover costs. You know, uh, for the LTL carriers, some of them actually, you know, as the fuel prices go up, the surcharges can actually bring them in more money, as we've seen. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an ongoing issue. Justin, what are you, what are your thoughts as we get into the rates with the fuel price issue? I agree. I, I think this is one of the biggest areas in the industry where there's still a huge disconnect between carriers and shippers. When I say carriers, I don't mean asset carriers, but small and mid-sized carriers that aren't on fuel surcharges. They get their freight, whether it's contract to spot from brokers, and there is no straight pass-through. Um, shippers also don't peg fuel anywhere near to what carriers pay at the, at, you know, at the pump. Um, it goes into that cash flow issue to where higher fuel prices sometimes tends to be better for carriers because they are generally speaking, going with all-in rates, whether it's contract dedicated freight through a broker or not. But it's it's one of those areas where shippers and carriers are still very disconnected. And having that middleman being the broker in the middle um, makes it even more complicated, just like you know, payment terms to where a lot of shippers in the industry right now are going through 90 and 120 day payment terms to where carriers get paid within 48 hours in most cases. Um, obviously, there's factoring companies that are included there, but it really causes a, a squeeze on, on cash flow for brokers in that case, or even carriers that they're running directly with shippers. Um, I don't see fuel having too much of an impact in the near term. 
but I think it's a big disconnect still in the industry for carriers and shippers. All right, gentlemen, we've we've gone through a lot. I have two questions for you before we go. One, are there any anomalies that you are sort of keeping a close eye on? You know, I know the UAW strike, we're still waiting for the ratification of the agreement, but is there anything that you're looking, keeping a close eye on, whether it's regions, issues in the supply chain, what are you thinking? Well, you know, one thing I'm keeping an eye on in, in the LTL sector is, you know, a story that Reuters had this past week, which surprised me, which was a much smaller company, Jack Cooper Transport, potentially making a bid for Yellow's assets. I mean, currently, uh, Estes Express Lines or Estes, the company, has a $1.525 billion bid out there, a stalking horse bid, which sets the ground floor for the auction of about 170 terminals that Yellow owned. Uh, apparently, Jack Cooper Transport would like to put in an even bigger bid, uh, perhaps with Teamster backing. And, you know, it seems, it seems odd at this point. Uh, they're not an LTL carrier. They're a truckload carrier. Um, and we don't know if this is going to go anywhere or not. But, you know, it's there's there's a thin edge of probability that something could happen in which this company would put in a bid that would uh change change that game you know could you know could they actually restart the company as they claim they want to do i think that would be extraordinarily difficult uh, i think they could do something uh you know it depends on the scale and the length of time that they want to put into this but it's it's you know just another really strange twist in what's been a long strange story over the course of this year. Yeah, and, and Jenny, I, I honestly can't think of an anomaly that will shift things because of what we've seen so far this year and <laughs> yeah. how the, the the supply just has ab absorbed it. Mm -hmm. um, like if I go back to Labor Day with the hurricane on the heels of Labor Day, and you know I thought there was going to be you know an opportunity for carriers to make some more money for a week or two, and essentially we saw less of an impact than we did Memorial Day weekend. Um, I don't really see anything changing the trajectory of the, of the current market right now. Yeah. I might throw snowstorms at you in the Midwest or Northeast, but honestly, I don't think that's going to have a super large impact unless we have an extremely cold winter in the Midwest to where a lot more van freight gets turned into uh, temp controlled. Um, yeah. But to be honest, I think yeah, deep freeze in Texas, Justin, right? Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That had an impact, you know, but I think again, you know, it would it would probably be a temporary impact, you know, but it, you know, I th I think the real the real anomaly is going to be stronger consumer demand pushing up freight demand, uh yeah. increasing manufacturing and we're we're just kind of waiting for that. We're waiting for that rebound. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Bill uh, definitely hit it on the head there with the deep freeze down south. That's really <laughs> the only thing I could see, like a prolonged deep freeze that would shift it for a short term. But like the last few weeks, we saw three large brokers go out of business and like we, we felt no impact. So one one thing that could be a, a curveball eventually, maybe not next year, but the 2027 EPA uh, emissions regulations, the NOx emissions regulations, right. you know, I had a conversation about this with one of the truck manufacturers not too long ago. You know, if truck production 
drops in 2024, you know, as a result of what we're going through right now, right? Uh, when we get to 2025, 2026, right about the time people are thinking of pre-buying trucks before the 2027 emissions regs come out, which are supposed to boost the, the cost like 12 to 14% of a class eight truck. So if you're gonna try and buy a truck in 2025, 2026, maybe there aren't as many of them around, new ones to buy because production was cut uh, in 2024 or even 2025 because of economic slowdown or slow freight demand. Uh, you know, that could have an impact when we get into 2025 maybe, uh, but, that's as far as I'm going to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe this next last question is unfair, but you know, this year I think I could probably say maybe we've said it more than 50 times on the show maze, but you know, the word of the year was stagnant for us this year. So I'm curious to know, what do you think next year's uh, word of the year is going to be? I don't think it's going to change much in the first half <laughs> of the year. Yeah. Um, like Phil alluded to earlier, even when we do start seeing, you know, a rise in the, you know, the national aggregate rate, it's not going to be fast and dramatic. It's going to be slow. I, I think, you know, Transfix, we're forecasting a very, very slow rise throughout the year. Um, so it's not going to be anything breathtaking like we've seen over the last three, almost four years now. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's going to be, we're going to, you know, probably emphasize the seasonality a little more. Hmm. But other than that, it's going to be more getting back to that traditional freight cycle that we're used to. Yeah, I think, you know, new normal will be a term that comes out a lot next year. You know, yeah. I think that people have used it a lot they this sure year, yeah. a couple of years, but obviously 2020 through 2022, nothing was normal. Hmm. Uh, 2023, not very normal either, but based on the projection that we're probably going to see a continuation of this market for a few more quarters. Yeah. This will begin more and more to feel like, okay, this is how things are. And this is where the, the level of, of freight activity is going to be for some time that becomes a de facto normal at some point, right. as much as we have a normal anymore in, in this business. <laughs> it's so true. Gentlemen, thank you so much for lending your expertise on today's show. It's always a pleasure to have you both on when we can. Um, and that's it. That's it. We'll see where the state of the market is in the next quarter or so. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think we're probably likely going to keep saying stagnant and, you know, uh, um, a slowdown effect. But uh, but we'll see. It has been a very interesting year. I have no doubt next year will be just as interesting. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.